All right. It's good to see you here. Good to be together. Um, we're continuing in our evaluation, in a sense, in our well, our evaluation of our church and our a study of God's word regarding our church. And here this morning, it's uh, regarding the the work of the Spirit of God uh, in the church of the living God. You know, last week we we touched. On and we studied some about the, the promise of his presence. And he, you remember at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus promised, He said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So that was, we looked at that promise. And so we understand that if you're a Christian, God's with you. And as a church that says we are a Bible church, God would dwell here in our midst and with us because the Holy Spirit is within. He's come not just upon a Christian's life, but come into the Christian's life. The Bible says, and it's our memory verse for this month in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you shall receive power... But you shall receive power. But you shall receive power. Okay? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay? So today, we want to consider more about the, the, the understanding of what the Bible says about the power of the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives, in our midst. I'm in my mid-50s. I've had a number of quiet moments thinking about a midlife crisis. Namely, a Harley Davidson. You have to understand a little bit of my background. The first time, <laughs> I never, I never told her this. <laughs> the first time I jumped on a, on a scooter, I think I crashed into a tree. It was a mini bike. We used to call them mini bikes. You know, the little, you know, lawnmower engines and all that. And uh, now in San Francisco. I see these little Vespas scooting around and they pick them up and park them, you know, and all that. But in my dreams, <laughs> isn't it about, guys, are you with me? Isn't it about power? Power. And um, all too often, the Christian life is more like the, the mini bike or the, the moped. And we get on and pedal it. And then the motor starts. And then we, you know, scoot around. And, that, and to be honest, that's, I think that ends up being more of a description of Christian lives than does the Harley Davidson in power. And we, we want to, and I know most of you, and, uh, you know, and understanding in your lives, your desire is, here's, I, I want to experience the power of Christ in my life. Okay? 
and if you don't, then something's wrong. Something is missing. And so I asked this question, you know, um, I, is, is the power of the Holy Spirit evident in my life? And I want you to think about that. I want you to wrestle with that. Is he evident? Is his power evident in your life? Is the Holy Spirit's power evident in our church life? And before we move on to really investigate that more, I'll say I'll bring this up again. I know most of you can answer this question uh, according to the Scripture, but what is the church? Is the church a building or a people? people it's not a building this is a church building where the church meets okay we've dealt with that before i want to bring it up again because there it might be that people come in they're visiting or something or they didn't hear the time before the church is not a building the church is a people then we go to the next question who are these people what kind of people are we talking about are we talking about the general public people or good working people neither we're not talking about the general public that comes into the church doors of the church building and we're not talking about good working people either the church is not made up of good working people i want to explain that the church is made up by saved by grace people. You, If you're a Christian, you are saved by grace. And that's what drives you. And that's what brings us together. We're saved by grace. It's not about, you know, climbing our little ladders of success and good works and, and show God how good we can be. And saved by grace people then are people who are born again. And it might be that some of you got really turned off by Christianity when you heard that term coming up 20, 30 years ago about being born again. But it's in the Bible. John chapter 3 talks about, you know, Jesus meeting with uh, Nicodemus, one of the rulers, uh, you know, in one of the Pharisees, and he talks to him about being born again. You must be born again. Okay? Turn there, John chapter 3. We want to look at that little brief uh, conversation. And in the passages that we look at, I want you to uh, be alert to where is it that we see the Spirit's power and his, where is it that we see the, the work of the Spirit involved here. John chapter 3 Jesus uh, responded to Nicodemus. Um, He says in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, Stop right there. Being born of water, 
is referring to really being born of the word of God. All right? So just, we're not going to go into explaining that in depth right now, but that's what Jesus is referring to. That's what Paul picks up on in Ephesians 5 when he talks about the washing of the what? The water of the, the word of God in your life. The washing of the water. And really, it's, a, it, it's this picture of, here's, here's the Word of God washing away all the, the here's the self-centered, the humanistic, the, the whatever, pagan, idolic, uh, idle thoughts, you know, things of, of that nature. Those things need to be washed away from your mind. <laughs> all too often, if you can relate to me in this, your mind can come up with some stuff, I mean, right after church, for crying out loud. What in the world did, where did that come from? You know, that thought, that, that thought, that, that's coming from your sin nature. <laughs> and your sin nature keeps wanting to take control, wanting to, you know, rise up again and, and have the control. No, here's the Word of God. And then what Paul has done, he's, He's paralleled. Here's the Word of God. Let the Word of God dwell within you richly, right? And here's the Spirit of God that we ask to be filled and controlled with the Spirit of God. And he goes on to say then in in John 3, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay, there's a difference here. And he's saying to Nicodemus, although he knows a lot of information, he's not born of the Spirit. He doesn't understand truly the things of God. Then he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. And here's the illustration he gives. The wind, you can, you know, you can see the effects, but you can't see the wind. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. The effects, right? But not, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay? So, the idea of the wind and the Spirit of God being uh, described there. So, we've got this idea of, you know, here's, the, here's the, the people who are saved by grace, they're born again. Secondly, they're... They are those who have been baptized in the Spirit. Now, this is a, a bit of a confusing thing. You know, we talk about baptism in the past, but when we say people who are truly in the church, they're baptized in the Spirit. That does not refer to water baptism. That refers to the point of salvation. Okay? And you can see, uh, I'll just give you these, write these references down. Uh, about being baptized in the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 5, where it says, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Baptism in this case is equated with salvation. Upon having faith in Christ, you are automatically, invisibly, don't necessarily feel it, you're baptized into the family of God. You're placed into His family. You're baptized in the Spirit. And many have taken that thought and 
ridden roughshod with it, you know, and, and exaggerated it and say, well, you know, it's after salvation. And now, secondly, are you baptized in the Spirit? No. The, it's one and the same thing. Once you become a Christian, you've responded to the gospel. You're baptized in the Spirit. You're in the body of Christ, are you not? Upon salvation? Yes, you are. So, another passage you want to uh, mark down is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free. We were all made to drink of one Spirit. And then also Romans chapter 6, verse 4, where we are identified with Christ through the baptism of death. Baptism of death. Okay? Baptism in His death. Those are, the, the term baptism gets us off course. Because we think it's about water and being baptized in, in the tank or in the ocean or in the river when it's really just referring to your identification. You're identified with Christ. And thus it would bring about, listen, it would bring about the desire in your heart to please Christ by being water baptized. Okay? Had a nice little chat with someone this morning. Ansley, Ian, about being baptized. And that's the result. Water baptism is the result of what's already gone on in your life. Right? So, I could get, you know, going on that further, but we don't want to do that. We want to just talk, okay, who's the church? These people. Who are these people? They're born again. They're baptized in the Spirit. Meaning... Number three, they have the Spirit of God. Now, why do we say that? Because the Scriptures point that out. The Scriptures highlight that. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Turn there, please. Ephesians chapter 1. Romans, then 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. And here we have this passage that tells us we are blessed in, the, in all these things in Christ. And in verse 13, Ephesians 1, 13, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Right? You're, you're born again. You're baptized in the Spirit. You're in God's family. And thus you have the Spirit of God within you. How many times have you heard someone praying in a Christian group, Oh, Spirit of God, please come upon us. Have you heard that? Does that jive with what we see here in the Scriptures? No, it doesn't. It doesn't go along with that thought. Why? If you're a Christian, who's in you? The Spirit of God, the Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit. He's in, in dwelling Christians. And sometimes we hear those prayers go, you know, oh, please come and visit us, Holy Spirit. He's here. You might not feel it. I might not feel it. He's here. If you're a believer, He's here. Okay. 
and, and thus, a lot of it comes back to our concept of who God is. A lot of times we think He's just distant, far away. No. We've been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. We've been brought near. There's that access. Kevin mentioned it. We sang it in our songs. The, the, the curtain was torn. Miraculously, here it is. The curtain's torn at the crucifixion of Christ, signifying what? You, believer, can come in and have access to God. It's amazing. Let me just have you listen to this. Write, write down the reference if you want. Romans 8, verse 9. Again, this is dealing with those who have the Spirit. They are sealed. Okay? It's like uh, the pledge is like the ring, right? Signifying you are married. Okay? And we have that engagement ring, so to speak, otherwise known as the Holy Spirit. Okay? Romans 8, verse 9 says this. You, listen, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Okay? That's what he's getting at. He's saying, you're not of the flesh, so don't be driven by the flesh. Don't be motivated by the flesh. If the Spirit of God is truly in you, then you're His. It's a matter of ownership. Anyone, and then he goes on to say in Romans 8, verse 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of God is none of His. That's why I said last week, if you think, you know, if you're not sure that the Holy Spirit resides within you, you need to be saved. <laughs> you need to be saved. And no, this is not getting on the edge of, you know, charismania, whatever you want to call it, charismatic kind of, you know, whatever. No, we're just trying to deal with what the scripture tells us about who the Holy Spirit is. Also, 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Or do you not know? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. Therefore, what? Glorify God in your body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so it's not a question of, you know, it all boils down to the fact that the Spirit of God resides in the life of a believer, of a true believer. That's why it's important that we really are teaching our children wisely and that we teach in our church wisely about what true salvation is. We can't get off track, you know, in regards to, well, you know, um, he's grown up in church all of his life and he's a Christian. No, that doesn't make him a Christian. Or he was baptized in the waters of baptism. That doesn't make him a Christian. You must be born again. And what does that come down to? Well, we're going to get to that in just a second here because, again, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. So, this is a little uh, quick uh, summation, nutshell form, uh, if you will, of the church. Who's in the church? What the church is? Well, the church is supposed to love Jesus. <laughs> to love Jesus Christ. That's what the people are about. And we come together and sharing that. I don't understand when people say, well, I'm a Christian, what church do you go to? Well, I don't go to church. Well, you Sure, they can come up with all sorts of, of reasons why they don't go to church, and they say, "Well, it's the, you know, it boils down to the you know people in the church or something, or the pastor or the leadership or who knows what it is." 
and it's a sad stain on on our situation. But Christians need to be in church. Okay? And that's not because the pastor is trying to twist the arms in that way. That's because here's what the Word of God tells us. You know, do not go on, Hebrews chapter 10, do not go on, continue, in forsaking the assembling of ourselves as is the manner of some. Okay? But we come together and hopefully are stimulating one another to what? Love and good deeds. All right? So, now, get this. We're talking about power. So get this. If, if we truly are believers in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God resides within us, so that when we gather together, we are a tiny representation of the most powerful group on earth. How about that? That's hard to imagine when you look around maybe sometimes. <laughs> but I, you know what? I say that and here's why. God demonstrated it in the early church. Right under the noses right under the eye of one of the most powerful empires ever, the Roman Empire. What did God do? God grew His church right under their noses. And God got His man, Paul, into Caesar's household. It's the most powerful group ever assembled. Why? Not because of you and me, not because of, you know the apostles or the, the, the church fathers, not, not at all. No, the, the Spirit of God resides within believers. And when we are empowered by Him, obeying Him, keeping His commandments, loving one another, guess what? It is the most powerful group ever. And we've got to understand that. We've got to come to grips with that more and more. Okay? It grew there right under the noses of the Roman Empire and it kept growing. Okay? So, it's exciting if we, you know, really dive into it and, and study, the, studying the Word, understanding His work and His, his aim, His purpose. So, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, You shall receive power, right? You shall receive power. And so the Spirit's working starts with the demonstration of His power. Now, I want to come to this issue of here's one believer. I'm not talking about a church. I'm talking about one believer who who truly comes to Christ. How did that happen? John chapter 16. Turn there, please. John chapter 16. Here's Jesus talking to His disciples It's just about time for him to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and then to be arrested and then to the cross to die. John chapter 16, starting at verse 8, he said, When he, that's the Holy Spirit, when he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer behold me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Okay? So, here's the, here are three quick uh, sub-points, if you will, of the Spirit's work. Number one is conviction. 
the Holy Spirit is in the business of conviction, right? And what is conviction but this? When a person is convinced of God's truth, when you're convinced of God's truth, the result is not salvation. You're not, that doesn't mean a person's... Because they're convicted, that does not mean they're saved. Do you understand that? We, we need to dis, um, distinguish between these. Being convicted does not necessarily mean you are saved. But it means that you are convinced of God's truth. You're convinced of the righteousness of God. Okay? And convinced of here's the, the coming judgment. It's what the second one is, is the critical one. From conviction to conversion. Now, conversion is the response of a person who's been convicted. There's a response now. And the response is faith in Christ. And here's the work of regeneration. And here's the verse you want to underscore. That's Titus chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. That's the work of the Holy Spirit is regeneration. And what's that word mean? Give a new life. There's new life that the Holy Spirit gives. Man's response, by the way, is spirit-led. To truly come to the light... That has to be empowered by the Spirit of God. And that's what the Spirit of God does. Here's the the word that is taught and the word that is caught in your life and you display it with your behavior. People are going to see. They're going to see a difference. Okay? So this is where new life in Christ is, is ignited. A once dead human spirit Dead to the spirit, uh, dead to the things of God. That's what everyone uh, apart from Christ is. They're dead to the things of God. And the Spirit comes to make this person alive. And that's what, here we go with bo- being born again, right? Ephesians chapter 2. Many of you can quote that verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Um, it's by grace we are saved, right? It's. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay? It's, it's of grace. It's His grace. And so we need to remember, you know, this passage. In fact, turn there, Ephesians chapter 2, because there's a, there's a couple of lines there that we need to see again. Ephesians chapter 2. And you see it there in verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Then we drop down, for by grace you have been saved through faith in verse 8, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so at that point of salvation, at the point of here's, here's conviction and conversion, here's where the person is now placed into God's family. Okay? Then the third one, the third term that we, we go with, also with the, the letter C, is consecration. There's conviction There's conversion, there's consecration. 
And here's where we get at this issue of sanctification, purification. Right? Remember what, remember what John the Baptist said? It's, you know, Jesus is going to come. He's the one who will baptize you in fire. Okay? And if you are saved, that's that idea of, here's the, the baptism of fire. And the point is that you are in this process, ongoing process of being made more like Christ. And that's the idea of consecration or sanctification. Your life aligning more and more to what Jesus tells us and what we see in the Word of God. You know, um, you're in Ephesians. I want you to turn back to your left there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here again is the demonstration of the Spirit's power. 1 Corinthians 6, starting at verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate or homosexuals, nor homosexuals, okay, the, the, I'm sorry, the effeminate is the perversion part of it, and homosexuals, verse 10, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you, but you, you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Now, that's the work that we want to see happening. We said, oh, we want to share the gospel. We want to make disciples. Well, that means getting out into the community, getting out into, into our world and sharing the message of the gospel so that it will bring about transformation in the lives of people. And we can't say, well, it's those people because, you know, we look at it and said, verse 11, and such were some of you. And here's where a problem in Christianity is. Christians get to thinking of themselves too snobbishly, if you will, too high and mighty, if you will. And we need to remember, walk in humility. Respond in humility. But hold forth the truth saying, look, God makes it clear. These kind of people, if they continue on in this way, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to be open to the working of the Spirit of God in their lives. But you, Christian, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God. And how is that going now? How is that happening in your life now? What's going on in that regard? That's the concern of consecration. Of sanctification. And you can take... There's a lot of examples in the New Testament that you can just break it down. You can take the book of Ephesians. There's six chapters in Ephesians. The first half deal with your position. The second half, chapter 3, 4, 5, and 6, deal with your practice. And that's the design of the book of Ephesians there. Is that 
our practice would be under His working. Okay? Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Mark that down. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. The whole book of 1 Thessalonians. Another example of how people responded and the Spirit of God worked in their, uh, through their response and brought about a model church. Okay. So, we started with Acts chapter 1. Okay. And we've kind of hopped around. We're trying to understand, here's the working of the Spirit of God and His power in our midst. And you say, well, Woody, what, did the, what happened in Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2. Here's the power of the Spirit on display. And what happened? A miraculous display of power. Acts chapter 2. And we don't have time to dive into it. But listen. There's all sorts of displays of God's power through the Old Testament. And Jesus put on miraculous displays of His power. What? You know, His power over nature. Turning water into wine. How about that? Uh, Commanding the winds and the waves. He, he, He demonstrated power over nature. He demonstrated power over diseases, over, you know, sicknesses. And he de- demonstrated his power over death. All these things. And now he says, and it's going to be better for you if I leave. For the, the comforter, the counselor, the helper, the advocate. And what is he an advocate for? The one who's coming alongside of us, the Holy Spirit. What is he an advocate for? Christ's likeness in your life. Christ honoring, Christ glorifying issues and and victories in your life and mine. Okay? But now the Spirit of God comes, shows up on the day of Pentecost, and what happens? Oh, this is an interesting subject to get into. The gift of languages. That's what happens. Here's the gift of languages all of a sudden. Here are these gifts. And and the scriptures say it in Acts chapter 2. These are just like Galileans. They're they're not not that great. They're Galileans. But they're they're speaking in our language of the mighty works of God. And, you know, we we look at, you know, the computer nowadays and see all these tools that we have online. You know, the Rosetta Stone and all these ways in which you can learn languages and hear, hear all these people that have come for Passover at, or, you know, this celebration in Jerusalem. And they're from all over the region. And they've got all sorts of languages going on. And they don't have little translators in front of them. They've got now, here's, here's this day of Pentecost that happened. The believers are now empowered gifted with speaking in languages to these other people. And they're from areas in Africa, areas to the east of Israel, areas to the north, all over. And now here are these Galileans speaking in their own language of the mighty works of God. Then Peter gets up and gives his message and it results in, here's 3,000 souls that were saved. Okay, The mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God 
well, what about us? As we kind of wrap things up here this morning, what about our power displays? I mean, we don't have a lot of people jumping up and speaking in languages, do we? We all speak English. Right? By the way, if someone were to do that, what's the response? There needs to be an interpretation. Right? And yeah, I know. We can't get into this now. <laughs> now that I've waded in. Okay? But there, there would need to be an interpretation of those tongues. Those languages. But what about us? Do I see... Do you see the power of the Spirit working in our lives? And the power of the Spirit, God wants to display the power of His, of who He is in our lives through overcoming sin, right? In, in victory and overcoming sin in your life. If you're a Christian, that's one of the key things that God wants to bring about victory in that way. And, and here's a, a display of power that sin is being overcome in your life. He also wants to show his power through the demonstration of love in our body. Uh, a, a love that the world just needs to see more and more of. And then to, you know, overcome life situations and, and uh, hiccups and interruptions with his peace and his joy. That's, what, that's the power of God at work in your life. That those things would be evident. And then back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He wants to display his power through you being his witness. Now, I'm going to say this. It's not a matter of you saving a person with the gospel. That doesn't happen. But it's a matter of you being ready to be a witness. And it's just like being called to court. We just want you to come in and give your testimony. Sit there in the chair and give your testimony. Share with us what happened. Share, share the truth. Here it is. And that's one of the ways in which we are witnesses for Christ. And he will give us power as we continue to do that. You shall be my witnesses in Fallon. You shall be my witnesses in northern Nevada. You shall be my witnesses on into California. In all the western United States and the United States, wherever you go, would be my witnesses. So, and it's being a witness to His truth, being a witness of his, the grace and the love that He has given. But most importantly, folks, if you miss everything I said here this morning, don't miss this. Be a witness for Jesus. Period. That you learn about what it means to be his witness. Jesus' witness. He said, you shall be my witnesses. Okay? So, we transition into our communion time. And it's important... It's important for us to equate the participation in this remembrance, in this observance. It's important to participate in this with this key. What are we 
we come together to do this to remember his death. That's the key. It's not a lot of, not a lot of other things. It's about coming and remembering his body was given for this sacrifice and his blood was shed for the remission of sins. And so the, a good way to partake of communion is to say, Lord, I join in with the Apostle Paul. I need to die daily. I need to die daily. I need to die to the flesh and live to the Spirit. And, you know, later on, we can say, Oh, God, through your Spirit, bring about more and more change in my life for your glory. So, as we come to communion, I need to prepare my heart. I can't take this in a rushed way. I need to ask God to help me. I need to remember his death. I need to confess sins that I know I'm holding on to, that I need that I haven't already confessed. I need to come with these kind of thoughts in my heart and my in my mind. And I need to partake with a, a grateful heart. And then to resolve to say, Lord, today and this week, bring about the change in my life that you only you can bring. Help me change the bad habits. You know, those sins that we kind of categorize as not that important. Because it's only the big sins that we deal with here right now, right? <laughs> no, he wants us to open up the little closets in the back of your life and, and be open and honest with him about these things and ask for him to do his work. So, I'd like to ask the men to come at this time who are helping to serve.